And the things that I felt like I wasn't giving my children was first and foremost that gift of failure. When they were little, I did everything for them. And as they grew older, I, I fixed everything. I was there to fix everything. I didn't give them that opportunity to fall down, skin their knees, and the gift of picking themselves back up and the feeling that that gives somebody, the confidence that gives somebody. That is a very natural parenting tendency. Yeah. I think today they call it the smoother. They call it the bulldozer. They call it the helicopter mom. Yeah. Where they come in, they swoop in, they smooth the path. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I felt like I wrote the book on that. What is financial sobriety? Well, first, I'm Jim Gebhardt. Oh, I'm Matthew Grishman. That's good. We should introduce ourselves. And this podcast is all going to be about three relationships that really, when you stop and you think about them, you don't think they go together. But it's your relationship you have with money. It's the relationship you have with people who mean the most to you. And ultimately, the relationship you have with yourself. So I might imagine that those three relationships are somewhat wrapped together. That when one gets a little out of whack, perhaps it has an effect on the others. Stick around and you'll find out. Welcome to episode 483, no, sorry, episode 40 of Financial Sobriety. I'm pretty proud of that fact. You know, for a couple of guys that can get distracted by a sparkly butterfly, that's pretty impressive. Well, and when you and I just went through that whole process of getting an award for podcast of the year through FICOM and investment news, to find out that the average podcast, first of all, that there are 1.9 million podcasts in existence. Yeah, let's just... Hit the pause button right there, Ooh. shall we? There's a lot of podcasts out there. Any sense of overwhelm when you hear that number? A little bit. But what calms that overwhelm is the knowledge that the average podcast lasts seven episodes and then it goes away. So the fact that we've sat down here to record our 40th official episode, probably our 45th or 46th unofficial episode, I'm feeling pretty good about that today. That is very cool. That's, that's actually something I've been thinking about with this whole theme that we've had for the last couple of weeks of graduation, halftime. There's a part of me that sometimes thinks about when are we done with this? When have we graduated? When have we gotten to the point where we're done with our podcast because we've shared all the information that we need to share? And just these last couple of episodes have helped me realize that this is a journey that we're on. Oh, yeah. That well, this... and number one, you know, repetition is where it all comes from. You think of great coaches like the John Woodens of the world, and my kids, you know, their eyes roll up in their head when I start reminding them of, he started every practice with, how do you put on your socks and shoes? I mean, that's the most boring stuff on earth, and there were a number of very notable players that used to walk out of the gym. He's like, okay, well, good good luck to you, because this is, this is where we start. We start with, how do you properly put on your socks? How do you properly tie your shoes? And while that feels unbelievably rudimentary, so much of the curriculum that is built on financial sobriety is about repetition, is about rudimentary repetition, rudiment, rudimentary repetition. It's about getting the basics, the very basics right. And I, I think it's really appropriate, given the, the theme that we've been on with graduation and halftime, to really get into this concept. I, I was thumbing through this this old rag that I wrote here a year and a half or so ago, this book we have called Financial Sobriety, Rebuilding Your Relationship with Money One Step at a Time. And every once in a while, like so many of the books that you and I read that have been very influential, is I just like to open it up to a certain section and just reread that section. Yeah. 
And the one that I just happened to open up recently is the chapter I wrote called Teach Your Children on page 61. And I, I thought with the whole theme of graduation and halftime, this would be a good thing to talk about today because I know I've found in the last couple of weeks since high school graduation has happened for Lucas that I've had lots of opportunity to sit down and talk with him and, and just ask him lots of questions about where he's at, how he's feeling. He's dealing with a little bit of feeling stuck and, and having this incredible opportunity to just ask him some questions and plant some seeds and get him thinking about how to get unstuck. This is something that's a relatively new skill set for me, this ability to sit down with my boys and be that very effective parent, that consultant in their life who's able to ask questions and plant seeds for them and then let them go out into the world and explore and water those seeds and see where they go. I feel like there's something to this idea that old dogs can learn some new tricks. Sure. I mean, for so long, I beat myself up for not being the parent that I've always wanted to be. I was in that place of comparison because I've, I've been around you and Beth for so long now and, and pretty much watched you raise your children with so much admiration for the choices that you've made, the decisions that you've made. And as good as I felt about that, I've also been stuck in that comparison mode for so long. Well, let's, let's unpack. Uh, thank you for those kind words, but let's unpack the concept of comparison. Please do because that's been something that has been the basis for all of my unhappiness for so long. There we go. Because that, that is exactly the point of unpacking this, is yeah. to slow it down for a second and appreciate that the concept of comparison is a very dangerous tool because you find yourself doing exactly what you've described, right? right? This is in the context of parenting. I mean, it could be driving down the freeway and you see somebody in a really cool automobile and you go, God, I am such a loser because I don't have that I don't have that cool car right. or that cool house right. or that cool whatever it is. And yet, as you and I talk an awful lot, everybody's journey on the inside is different than how the outside looks. Yes. And that's what I was doing is I was comparing what I saw on the outside in your family to how I was feeling on the inside yeah. about my own parenting. Yeah. Looking at the relationship your children have with one another looking at especially the girls, especially Emily and Grace, and how motivated and driven they are to go chase their dreams, and hearing about how you and Beth fostered that and what you sacrificed in your own lives and the selflessness that came from that. And initially, for a lot of years, I wasn't able to celebrate the beauty in that because I was so stuck in this space of comparison. Gotcha. Where I had these envious feelings that turned into jealousy in a lot of ways, and they had absolutely nothing to do with you. It was all my own ego hijacking this by, yeah. by getting me into this place of comparison. Absolutely. Welcome to comparison. Holy cow. The difference today of being able to be with your family and celebrate just how awesome your family is and the children and the relationship they that they have with each other, because I no longer look at it from a comparison standpoint, because... I even started thinking about this concept of old dogs can learn new tricks and how it's really not about old dogs learning new tricks. I mean, we, we get so set in our ways at such young ages in our lives that it becomes hard to get out of that. I mean, I, I remember Miles when he was two years old. I mean, taught me my very first lesson in this concept that old dogs can learn new tricks. I mean, he was two years old and we, we took him to his very first movie. 
we took them to see Pixar back in the day. Just it seemed like every year they, they had another. Were, they were incredible, fen- phenomenal. I mean, award-winning movie every single year. I feel blessed that we had little kids at that time. Oh, it was a great time to to raise your children and and have that first experience with them. That very first movie we took Miles to see was called Monsters Inc. Oh, it wasn't Gone with the Wind. No, no, no. Okay. We 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 we're gonna wait till the kids are a little older for that one. But gotcha. You know, Pixar had that film Monsters Inc. He absolutely loved it. I mean, two years old, just became the center of his life after going to that movie. His preschool lunchbox, his pajamas, his bedsheets. He had these fat heads on the wall of his house. Every toy, every book, every little figurine. His entire life became Monsters, Inc. Fast forward a year later. Schindler's List? Well, Pixar came out with a new movie that was a little different from Schindler's List, although there was some recurring (laughs) theme in this next movie. And with the hint of Schindler's List, what do you think the second movie was? Do you remember? It was in 2000. Let's see. Miles was born in 2000, so 02. So this was 2003. Ghostbusters. Close. Try again. Mm. Pixar. A fish. Just Keep Swimming. Good. What movie was Just Keep Swimming? Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. So Miles is excited. We're going to another movie. He hasn't been— Oh, he is excited. Oh, he's excited. We're going to another Pixar movie. About— About monsters. About monsters. Yeah, buddy. This movie's about fish. Not going. I don't like fish. I don't want to go see fish. I want to go see monsters. And he, for days, was just in complete I'm-not-going mode. And as we walked into the movie theater, Miles started melting down. I am not going to this movie. I am not going to see it. If it's not monsters, I won't see it. So I leaned into Amy. I whispered to her. I said, go, go, go find us some seats. I'll get him in the theater. Because at this point, he's now laid out on the theater floor, stiff as a board, absolutely refusing to go in. That's just a very memorable, proud moment as a parent. It's not, it's not really anything you've had any control over. It's just... A toddler doing what toddlers a, will do. A toddler doing what toddlers do, and I found myself getting really angry. Yeah. And I was so proud of myself for not picking him up and throwing him through a plate glass window that day, which yeah. would have been problematic, but it was definitely some of the thoughts that oh, I was having Oh, the cartoon in my bubble, head. absolutely. Oh, it was there. I finally just reached down on the floor, and I grabbed him by the seat of his pants, picked him up with one hand, put him over my shoulder, and we walked into the theater with him kicking and screaming. And, of course, as soon as we get in— The only seats Amy had found was in the very front row. But as we walked in and I sat him down on my lap and I pinned him there, the movie had started and it was that opening scene where Nemo's mom is chomped by a barracuda. And right as that happened, Miles' head just swung around on a swivel and was like right on the screen fixated. Whoa. And then the next thing you know, and I kind of wish we had a little video for this so I could show this to you. But he just sat there calmly and started eating his popcorn and could not take his eyes off the screen. So fast forward, we get home. The monster's fatheads come down. Up goes Nemo and Dory. And of course, Brucey the shark and all the different characters. The PJs get swapped out, the bed sheets, the lunchbox. All of a sudden, Nemo is now his life. I'm having fish tonight. (laughs) He did. He got fish sticks for dinner almost every night after that. I could go on and on for the next four years. This happened. This was a cycle that went on and on for the next four years. And it was one of the later Toy Story movies that he actually got to this place where he was excited about going to see a different movie, a new movie. 
And it was really that example that taught me for the very first time that it really isn't about old dogs learning new tricks. It's about any dog learning any new tricks. And it's something that a very young age, we get so set in our ways that it's hard to open our mind up to another way of thinking, another way of living, another flavor of ice cream we might like, another movie from Pixar we might like. Yeah. And so it taught me. I mean, I hated the failures that I had as a parent. And I pretty much doomed myself to just being this very mediocre parent. But through that experience with Miles and you doing such a good job of reminding me that, because I've told that story before, it, you know, it was, it, was a, it was something I wrote in my first book about and just something we've talked about. It's a central part of our practice and how we run our private wealth management practice that you know, we're a couple of old dogs always learning new tricks to be constantly better at our craft for our clients. It's what we do with this podcast and how we've improved, I think, improved the quality of the podcast and the messages that are going out and the timeliness of those messages, the guests that we're bringing on the show, the more guests we're going to bring on the show. I can't wait to see where this thing goes because you and I are a couple of old dogs learning new tricks. There's a, a great book. I'm blanking on the name of the book. The author's name is Carol Dweck, and she writes about mindset. Mm. And do you have a fixed mindset or do you have a growth mindset? And if you feel as though you're stuck in this area or you have a family member that's stuck or a child that's kind of stuck, uh, this is a wonderful book because this concept of the growth mindset is is really what we're talking about here. Our very intentional mindset around being open to growth and open to change and seeing things differently and not being stuck in our ways. You and I very easily with 51 years combined in the business could be extraordinarily stuck in our ways. Yeah. This is how we've done it. This is how we are always going to do it. And, you know, hell hath no fury if we're going to change it. Right. But that's one of the, I think, the, the biggest takeaways for me with, with all that we've been doing here is, is just staying open to change because the overwhelming part, I think, from, for me is the rate of change is, is accelerating. Oh, yeah. And that's the part that tends to shut me down. Yeah. And so I have to go off and find my quiet and whatever that is and just get over the fact that, you know, change is happening at a faster pace. Let's let's stay open. Let's stay positive and upbeat. And it's remarkable what happens. Well, you, I mean, here's one big point of change. Talking about going away and finding your space to allow the change to happen. It's in here. It's in this podcast studio when you and oh, I come for, here. For, for us, absolutely. I mean, this this has become our laboratory. I mean, what we've really created here for ourselves, and, and thank you, Ace, for being such a huge part of creating this space for us, is, is we've got this safe space to experiment, to go play with these new concepts and ideas and and thoughts and mindset. You know, I, I don't know if it's Carol Dweck and, and the book that she wrote that you got this from, but, I mean, you've always said to me, if the best time to plant a tree was 21 years ago when Miles was born, the next best time is is right now. Well, and let's let's pick on Miles some more. His passion, his both vocation and hopefully avocation is flying. Yeah. And I am reminded time and time and time again that a plane is off course 99% of the time. Right. Right. Absolutely. And the reason that they're using autopilot is... Those little minute corrections really can't be done by hand. Right. And if if human beings are more flawed than an airplane, because uh, humans are flying the airplane, right. 
then 99% of the time we're off course. Yeah. And that's why I think so much of these concepts and that, you know, 20, 21 years ago was the best time to plant a tree. Well, guess what? We're, you know, we're, we're off course again. Yeah. Well, and that's whether, whether it's our jobs, whether it's our work, this idea of, of constantly changing and being open to that change, I was really stuck in the parenting space. I was really stuck in this idea of what am I actually really teaching my children? And to think that I could take from your example and some of the other examples that I've seen out there of what I call really, really strong parenting, really selfless, good parenting, responsible parenting, and how to not only be able to help my children with these three very complicated relationships they have in life, right? Their, their relationship with self, their relationship with people, their relationship with money, being able to start today with a 21-year-old and an 18-year-old and see some profound changes happening quickly, it just reinforces the confidence that I have in this ability to change, this ability to no longer compare what I see in others with what I'm not doing myself, but rather use those examples as the basis to make change, to plant those trees today, to see those trees that have seeds and water them and watch them grow and, and watch some incredible things happen. Absolutely. And one of the big things that I've observed and one of the things that you've, that you've said quite often, maybe not on the podcast, is we can spend our time hoping for a better past or we can do something about it because what got us to this point isn't going to get us to where we want to go. Let's take it to our, our business. What All the years that we've been doing this, what has gotten us to this point has been wonderful. Whether it's been a bad situation or a good situation, it's gotten us to this point. But the skills, the talents, the abilities, the mindset, the relationships, the connections, the whatever you want to call it, isn't going to get us to where we want to go. So that growth mindset is so vital to being open to new ideas and course correction. And then you get the supercharge of seeing the, the kind of improvements and enhancements to your relationship with your boys and what the boys are, are doing in life and, and the responsibilities that they're taking on and all that. And that's just like, that's like jet fuel. That's yeah. just like whoosh in terms of an accelerant to get you moving even faster. Yeah, th this, is, this is probably one of the biggest halftime conversations I've had in the locker room with myself, with Amy, is, you know, just kind of assessing not necessarily the halftime of 2021, like we've talked about in the last couple of episodes, but almost like halftime in our role as parents. Yeah. Right? We, we've gotten past the adolescence stages, and now we've got two boys that are young adults that are on kind of the precipice of launching into the world themselves. Mm -hmm. And so there's a little bit of halftime in that. And, and one of the things that this idea of planting trees— 21 years ago, and the next best time of planting them now, knowing that this old dog could learn some new tricks, the, the first big question was, well, how do I right the ship? I mean, when first, when I look at how I, I need to move forward, it's really important to really take an inventory of what I saw as some of the biggest missteps of the past. Now, very important for, for my growth, for my benefit, it wasn't about looking at these past mistakes or choices that I made to kick my own ass further, to beat myself up even more, to feel bad about them. Okay. It was really about taking that inventory, much like when we talked about in episode five about running your family balance sheet like a business. What is one of the very first things that we need to do to get our financial house in order? Go out to dinner. 
that's the first thing. But what do we do when we get back from dinner? Buy something online? Yeah, or we could use the 10-10-10 principle to avoid that. Okay. But come on, stay with me here. I'm trying. I know. you got. By the way, you do look nice in your, cl- in your clown suit today. Th- thank you. Sparkly butterfly. Yeah, the red nose, the white face. It, you, you did good with your uh, clown paint today. So I'll do the uh, balloon animals here in a minute. <laughs> I mean, come on. What, what's that first thing that we have to do if we want to get our financial house in order? Take an inventory. We have to know where we stand. Yeah. We have to take an inventory and look at the past, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the three big things that I felt like I wasn't giving my children was first and foremost, that gift of failure. When they were little, I did everything for them. And as they grew older, I, I fixed everything. I was there to fix everything. I didn't give them that opportunity to fall down, skin their knees, and the gift of picking themselves back up and the feeling that that gives somebody, the confidence that gives somebody. That is a very natural parenting tendency. I think today they call it the smoother, they call it the bulldozer, they call it the helicopter mom. Yeah. Where they come in, they swoop in, they smooth the path. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I felt like I wrote the book on that. But knowing that that's what I did and was able to write about some very specific examples, and if these were to happen again, what could I do differently? Yeah. Right? That was a very empowering exercise. The idea of having these expectations that my children follow my path. I mean, you said it a few minutes ago. Miles' dream since the day he was three years old was to be an airline pilot, to fly airplanes. Yeah. That wasn't my path. And although I wanted to see him do that, there was something in me that said, hey, you've got to go down this traditional route of go to school, get good grades, get into a good college, get a degree, fall in love, buy a house, have children, right? Do do the path that I was meant to do. And I struggled to honor the fact that his path might be a little different to go chase his dreams. And that's the hardest part in all of this. Oh, is so letting, hard. Is letting go. Yeah. And how many stories, how many movies, how many relationships do you know where the controlling aspect of the parent wanting either wanting them to do it a certain way or wanting to smooth over the bumps and the struggles that the person had? I mean, I had, I had a conversation yesterday with a client— who desperately wants to leave seven figures to each of their three children to the detriment of her happiness in life today. Mm. And her CPA and I sat there and went, hmm, is that actually going to help them? Or are you actually taking something from them by giving them the money? A gift, right? So was, she, was, she thinks was, she's giving them a gift. She thinks she's giving them the gift of money, but we were actually having a much deeper conversation about Actually, what are you removing? What are you taking from them? Right. And she's like, well, I don't want them to have to struggle the way I've struggled. Okay. But hasn't that made you who you are today? Hasn't that made you the the successful person that you are today? So, I mean, so often what you and I like to do is to get people to slow down because of the very fact that there's some artificial path to happiness that so many people think it, it, it is. Get through, good grades, right, money. get to a great school, got to get to the – you You must, you must get into the very best school you can. Why? Because that – Because that somehow assures you happiness in a job. A job that will make you money. Come on. That's a bag of crap. That's – I'm hot now. That's a bag of crap. Yeah. 
I can show you a lot of really rich people who are miserable today. Amen. Hallelujah. And they took the traditional path. They took the path that I took. They took the path that you took, that we were taught to take. And here I've had this expectation of myself that my children must follow that path. And to your story about the conversation you had with this client yesterday, how much time has she spent teaching her children about the great responsibility that comes with money? Ah, yes. And where we got to in our conversation was, if this is what you want to do, then this is what you want to do. We're not going to stop you from doing it. Right. But what I said was, looking back on it, it was kind of profound. I said, this is the easy part. And she looked at me and she's like, I don't understand what do you mean. I said, the hard part is preparing the children for the money. This is easy. Just this, you know, okay, we're going to wave a wand and legally this will go here and this will go here and they'll get the money one day. But as you, I, I've stolen your analogy and used it 400,000 times, if we don't spend the equal amount of time preparing the children for the estate, then it's going to go to, you know, Best Buy, Mercedes-Benz, Amazon, sure, whoever, right? It's gone. Well, and that's, you know, sometimes I kind of feel like that uh, do as I say, not as I do guy, because for, you're right, for years... I've been sharing with clients that we can spend the next two to five years preparing your estate for your children, but if we don't prepare your children for the estate, bye bye, all the money's going to go to the Mercedes-Benz dealership yeah. and Best Buy and Nordstrom and Marriott Vacation Club and Southwest Airlines, right. and and there's not going to be anything left based on the values of what created this wealth in the first place. There's no struggle. No. Yet here I was not doing that for my own children. I have so much regret over the fact that I didn't teach my children about the great responsibility that comes with financial resources at an early age. However, I have much like I always have that 10-10-10 thing ringing in my head. Right. I have that if the best time to plant a tree was 21 years ago, the next best time is right now. Well, you've done two things that both truly extraordinary and extraordinarily rare. Number one is you've written a book and that book is a legacy to your children and subsequent generations of your family on your thoughts, beliefs, missteps, misguidance, and your unbelievably vulnerable story of, as you like to say, what a train wreck you were with your relationship with money. It's in print forever. Digitally, too. Yeah. So it's, it's inescapable to future you know, generations of Grishmans. Who does that? I believe you 95% of the time when you say you're not beating yourself up, but there's still some beating yourself up in there. Let's just, sure. I mean, let's. Well, but it's less, right? And this is, this is all progress. And that's the thing. It's not like one day I just woke up and stopped kicking my own ass for my past. Right. It's, it's been this gradual process where I notice I do it less and I catch myself quicker and it allows me to shift into that mindset because of some of these things that are now yeah. hardwired into my head. Amen. Right, some of these things that we'll we'll continue to talk about today. I mean, for me, to be able to start this process of writing the ship, to to answer the question you asked me, how did I get to that place mm -hmm. where I could stop comparing what I saw in your family on the outside to how I was feeling on the inside? Mm -hmm. The first thing I had to do was first recognize what stage of parenting I was in. Right, where where am I? Part of taking that inventory of looking at some of these past choices that I'd like to change going forward was also recognizing what stage am I at as a parent. 
And what I mean by that is was... Is this from the parenting manual? Because I, I missed that class. Yeah, yeah, this is from the parenting manual of got the idea from this guy and this guy and this guy and that person and this woman and that... So I, I'm, I'm Catholic. We'll have true confessions here for a second. I'm Catholic. You're Jewish. Right. Right. And that's what have, they tell me. We have playfully talked about this show should sometimes be referred to as the Jew and the Gentile, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I can tell you as a Catholic, there's no parenting manual. So it sounds like to me in the Jewish faith, there's some kind of a parenting manual that you get because you, you have a sense of where you are in your role as a parent, right? <laughs> Actually, what the Catholic Church should do with parenting is they should give you dice and send you a, a, to a craps table and you just keep rolling until you, you know, you hit seven. You hit seven, and you're you're out. Right. But it it sounds like you've got a manual that really we should repackage and sell because I have no idea what stage I'm in in parenting. I'm in the tired stage of parenting. I'm in. The, I'm looking for a sabbatical from parenting. <laughs> That's coming soon. Oh, good. Yeah. Like every seven years, I get a sabbatical. Exactly. Okay, good. Then right. I'm ready for three of them in a row. <laughs> right. In, right. Right in time for with grandparenting. a twenty-one year old. Yeah. yeah. Right in time for grandparenting. Well, I mean, outside of the book that I remember Amy bought for us when she was pregnant with Miles, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Oh, of course. That's a staple. Yeah. Even I, for Catholics, that's a staple. Right. I don't know of a manual. So it's it's really just— Oh, come on. I, I was hopeful. I know. I'm, I, I wish I had one. Perhaps we'll write it. Financial Sobriety for Parents. There we go. That's coming. There that, we go. That's coming. A friend of mine, he shared this with me. And I guess the, the manual of parenting is I hear things— and they just sound right to me, intuitively. And a friend of mine shared this with me. And God bless Vinny, if you're listening, thank you very much for sharing this with me. He described parenting as being three different distinct stages, mm. much like the way you and I have described retirement, right? Retirement is not just this universal period of not working. There are distinct stages in retirement. We've talked about that, right? The go-go years, the slow-go years, the no-go years. Parenting has the very same breakdown in stages. And when he said it to me, it just, it sounded right. It felt right. Stage one of parenting is the cop stage. Oh, I thought it was going to be the clueless stage. Well, that's pre-parenting. Okay. That's the when you get the how to expect when you're expecting Gotcha. Book, right? You're in the clueless stage. Gotcha. Okay. So but, cop, sorry. Right. So once you've read that book and you actually get to the first stage of parenting, it's, it's the three C's of parenting. It's the cop stage. It's the coach stage. It's the consultant stage. When's the emeritus stage? Like parent emeritus. I don't think there's ever parent emeritus <laughs> because I've got a 76-year-old mother as a 49-year-old man who still likes to occasionally be the coach. Uh, sure. Even though I'm at that stage in life where what I really need is the consultant yes. parent in yes. my life, right? Well, I mean, let, let's talk about that because I, I, I'm I'm fascinated to talk about this. I hope I can contribute. Oh, I, I think you can because we've all been that cop. When our kids are little, what's our job? We do everything. We do everything for them. We do absolutely everything for them. We make all these decisions. Why? Because if we don't, they're going to kill themselves. So our son, Jack, who's 14, he's an absolute little entrepreneur in the making. And he found himself with an opportunity to do some babysitting this week, which I my concept of babysitting and what babysitters are paid is like the 1980 stamp story I used to talk about, which is like, what, 15 cents, right? No, he's getting a lot. He's getting like $17 an hour to do this babysitting. Wow. Yeah. So I come home after some meetings, and I'm like, hey, where's, where are the boys? Oh, Grant's outside, and Jack's, Jack's taking a nap. I was like, does he feel okay? What's the, what's the matter? 
No, no, he came back from the babysitting and he was exhausted. So I went in just to check on him and he was lying on his bed and he was waking up and like, hey, buddy, how are you? Oh, dad. Oh, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm like, sir, what's what what has you so tired? I was chasing this four year old around for like four and a half hours today and I'm just I am wiped out. And I had this smirky little smile that I have. If you know me, you know it well. And it's this little smirky smile, and I just I went over to him and I kind of patted him on the chest, and I was like, "Uh huh, you're welcome." <laughs> and he looked at me, he was scratching his head. He's like, "What do you mean?" I said, "Just think about that for a second. I've been doing this for 20 years, and you sometimes wonder why your mother and I, at eight o'clock after dinner, when we're watching something on television, one of us or both of us pass out. In that stage of parenting, you're doing everything." For however many children you have, yeah, and it's exhausting. So the the cop, the the cop, yeah, think the about cop. It. I mean, there's a reason you have kids when you're young, right? Right. Because hopefully, hope, God, hopefully, God bless my brothers-in-law. God bless Steve and Eric, who both had their first children well into their 40s, and they've got to be the cop in the cop stage. I mean, you got to chase this little kid around because he wants to go to the kitty litter box and shove it in his mouth and stick his finger in the socket and ooh, let me go run down these stairs. And if we just let our little children at two, three, four, five years old do that, they're going to hurt themselves. I really appreciated your comment to Jack about how exhausted you are after 20 years of parenting. What I have found is I played the cop role, and there was a part of that cop role that went way beyond when it needed to be. You know, there, there's a point when our children, probably when they go off to school for the first time, preschool, kindergarten, where we have this transition really from cop to more coach, where it's important now to let our kids go explore and experience a little bit, where now we go from making all of their decisions for them to making more of those suggestions and then being that person to hold them accountable to taking the suggestions where we can let them choose, let them have the gift of choice a little bit of A or B. Show them how. Show them how. Right. Let them make the wrong choice. Right. And then Coach be, and course correct. Yeah. And then be the parent that says, well, you're now grounded for a week as a result of that choice that you made. Right. And I don't like that. Well, that's part of the choice that you that's, make. And that's and, the concept concept that you and I love to talk about, which is completely escaping me right now. The concept of accountability. The concept of cause being, and effect is being, what I was looking for. Being responsible for their choices. Yes, I have this cause and it has this effect. Yes. And whether whether I like the outcome or not, I've got to learn to accept that outcome. Yes. It was probably around eight or nine years old with my boys that I felt like there was a lot of pushback as I would make decisions for them. And I really didn't make this transition from cop to coach. But as I think back to the opportunities of where I could have, the coach stage is really a short period of time. For my boys, it would have been a, a short period of time where just being that coach who encourages them, makes them suggestions, roots them on, but lets them go out and experience failure – because when they hit, at least for me, my boys, it was about 13, 14 years old where there was absolutely nothing that I could say that they wouldn't challenge me on. I would vouch for that. Yeah, abs absolutely nothing. And what I missed was this opportunity to transition from cop to coach to consultant where as a consultant, my primary job as a parent was really just about asking questions, not necessarily telling them what I thought they should do but being very creative and asking them questions that would plant seeds. And then 
when they would ask me questions, be able to ask more questions and let life ultimately be their accountability partner. I've, I've felt as though the coaching phase, <laughs> I guess I know why it's longer because we have more children. Yeah. But I feel as though that I've been in that coaching role for a long time, but absolutely with our oldest daughter, Emily, in, in much more of a consultant role. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I guess this the, is a cool concept. I, yeah. I, I really would have appreciated this if you delivered this manual like 20 years ago. Well, you know, if the best time to have delivered this. But I'm bump. Right. The point of looking at what stage of parenting you're at is I think whether you're a cop, whether you're a co coach, or whether you're in that consultant phase, there's still room for allowing your children the freedom and flexibility to start figuring out who they are by letting them make some decisions. I mean, even a two-year-old, even a three-year-old, yes, we're in the cop phase, but there are still little decisions we can allow them to make for themselves and learn and start learning from a very young age. And I wish I had done some of that, but I'm like doing that now. when they put now. a handful of dirt in their mouth, it doesn't taste very good, even yeah. though it looks like chocolate? Right. Let them chew on that dirt and let them get that whole experience of how nasty it is. It's likely not going to do much damage other than create a very unpleasant experience for them. Right. When it comes to those coach phases where our kids are kind of young adolescents, allowing them to make some mistakes, allowing them to perhaps stay up too late at night and be tired the next day and, and learn the consequence of that, of what it's like to be tired in school all day, to be cranky in school all day. And then getting to this place of a consultant, you know, I'm just I'm really enjoying the fact that for the most part, everything that comes out of my mouth with my boys is a question. I get to plant seeds for them. It's so cool to watch them discover things on their own now right? and not have it be my suggestion, me telling them. Lucas just graduated high school. He has no idea what he wants to do. Amy and I have spent lots of time behind the seeds wondering what is his next step? What's he going to do? Where's he going to be? How's he going to fare? And I have all the confidence in the world that when he finds what he loves and he's passionate about, whoosh, he's going he's gonna to go. take off and yeah. have a huge impact in the world. And and good for you guys to give him the space to, to figure that out. We have finally given him space to figure that out. So I do things now. I mean, here he is. He's been out of school for a couple of weeks, graduation's behind him. And I'm so tempted when I see him sleeping till 11 o'clock, and I'm so tempted to want to walk in his room and tell him, Bang the garbage can lids? Bang the garbage can lids. Tell him to empty the dishwasher. Tell him to look for a job. Tell him that he's got to start thinking about enrolling in college. All these things that I want to tell him what to do. Right. That would be the, the natural, easy thing to do. However, I've learned how to ask him questions. Have you thought about what you want to do in the fall? And generally, I get... But then what I'll find is a couple of weeks later, he'll come back to me and ask me questions about the difference between Sierra College and American River College. Simply because I asked that question that planted a seed and it got him going to do the online work. Miles is waiting for his medical clearance from the FAA right. so he can right. solo. Right. And I so much, I, as he's telling me how much he's waiting and waiting and waiting, yeah. as, as someone who's been in business for a long time, I'm a big believer in follow-up. Yeah. And I want so badly to tell him to pick up the phone and call the FAA and find out what's going on. Or, if I may, yep. put your cop uniform on and do it for him. Oh, that'd be the easiest that's, thing to do. That, that's, that's what I find, yes. is I have this 
very old habit, going back to our old dog's new tricks, that, well, I can get this done for them faster, half the time. Right, faster. And then I pause and realize that, no, 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 I'm, in, I'm a consultant, and I just make suggestions, and I love the question concept, and let them get there at their pace, which is, sounds like what you're doing with Lucas, which is awesome. And I did the same thing with Miles. I asked him a question. Do you have a phone number that you could follow up? Simple question. And I left it at that. I have no attachment to whether he does that or doesn't do that. It was just a question I was getting him to think about. And sure enough, a week later, he comes back to me and he said, hey, Dad, good news. I called the FAA and the doctor in Oklahoma City is actually starting to review my case. But he did it like he came up with the idea. Oh, that's that's the most rewarding part. The most rewarding part because now my son has this newfound confidence that he can actually get himself unstuck by taking some action because of a seed that that consultant in his life planted for him. That not only protects his confidence, but it helps build his confidence. Absolutely. And selfishly, what it's done for my relationship with my children is awesome. I have a relationship with my boys where we have unconditional love, we get along, we enjoy spending time together, which for anybody who's been part of my financial sobriety journey knows that that wasn't always the case with my boys. So if the best time to plant a tree was 21 years ago, you've done a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of course correcting to get the ship, in this case, the airplane, back on track. Yes. Well, and what I'm very happy about, and thank you for that, thank you for acknowledging that, it feels really good. What it's now allowed me to start doing is tackling some of those financial things with my children, starting to... That sounds like another episode. Oh, it absolutely is. Okay, good. I I think it's going to be our next episode, which is how do we take this concept of teach your children, and once we get past all of this baggage from the past and restructure that relationship with people, how do we then help our children develop this relationship with money? Again, knowing that one of my biggest regrets was I wish I had done this sooner— but starting to do it now with a 21 and an 18-year-old and seeing how that's having immediate impact in their lives as it relates to this relationship that they have with money is awesome. I can't wait to talk about it. And with that, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial 
needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.